Kia ora everybody, my name is Sam. Um, it's nice to be here and not be kept at home with the water. I wonder if we can get some 93 or the main chunk of it up uh, just to start with. Um, I wanted to start with a question, which is, I wonder how the psalm makes you feel. I wonder how the psalm makes you feel. Maybe just in generally, but uh, also in light of what's been happening in the last little while. Um, it's been a really chaotic week, and obviously we've alluded to this already. Um, seems It feels like at the moment, uh, as soon as we get over one thing, we kind of get hit with something else at the moment. Um, and this last one was quite a big hit. And um, some of us have been really, really affected by that. So I wonder how you feel when you read something like Psalm 93, where it's saying stuff like, the Lord reigns, he is in charge, he's clothed in majesty. And it's all this good stuff and you're thinking, yeah, but also life feels really complicated as well. So I wonder how that sits with you. And I don't know about you, but it kind of sits with me in some funny ways sometimes. Uh, but I think that might be uh, the point. Um, so, you know, I was, I was stuck in Australia because I couldn't get back because of the airport last week. So I was just witnessing this flooding from a distance and I was seeing images of bridges being washed away and cars floating down uh, the road. It was crazy to me. Um, business be businesses being destroyed and animals in risk. And um, I, I couldn't believe it was real. And um, my heart really went out for my country and my, my city as I realized that this was something, this was another really big thing that we were going through. Uh, it was extremely, extremely chaotic and distressing. And it was a big wake up call that our infrastructure just basically couldn't handle it. Um, and then we've got something like this, the Lord reigns and he is majestic, he's strong and he's bigger than all of the floodwaters. And, um, I don't know about you, but it feels like we've got a new definition for the word biblical every single day in the news, which is exciting for someone who's into theology. But um, there are lots of tired people here, I'm assuming. And uh, I think it'd be fair to say that, you know, largely based on the weather, after really hard 2022, a lot of people are feeling like they didn't even really get a break. So we've kind of got that kind of going on at the moment. And then you come to church, right? And we have the audacity to read you this psalm that the Lord reigns, the seas have lifted up their voice, lifted up their pounding waves, the Lord reigns, which is a ballsy and insensitive move from St. Augustine's a week on. But here we are, and it's in the Bible, so we've got to be able to know what to do with it, right? So I'm not sure how you guys hear psalms like this. Um, but I think how we hear them is really, really important. Um, and if we give a quick, quick glance through this Psalm, Psalm 93 is a whole load of statements about how great God is, uh, how he's robed in majesty, uh, majesty, how he's strong and mightier than everyone else and how he reigns over the whole world. And sometimes what I hear in that is just something that sounds, I don't know, like quite removed from actual life, like a bit abstract. Um, it's like, okay, so the Lord reigns and he's strong and in control and mightier than the sea. Got it. It's like suck it up and believe, right? And so it can seem really removed from the actual stuff that we go through and we've got to find a way to, to bring them both into the same picture. Um, and it's not that I don't agree with the sentiments. I do agree with these sentiments, uh, but I just sometimes have to remind myself, uh, you know, sometimes I don't immediately know why we have to say it or read it. It just seems a bit abstract and out there. Why do we need to say these things about God? Um, and also, I think, because uh, my formative teenage years were in the early 2000s, I hear this in a particular way as well because of that. 
So I don't necessarily hear uh, like bold theological statements coming from Scripture. When I hear stuff like this, to me it sounds like Kirsten Dunst, uh, specifically Kirsten Dunst from the movie Bring It On from the year 2000. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like a, it's just like a go God cheerleading psalm, right? You know, you're mighty, you're strong. Be aggressive, be aggressive. That's what it sounds like to me. And I don't really know why we have to say it. And it sounds like we've got this cheerleading psalm, a way of pumping ourselves up in the face of adversity. Um, but I think what we need to do is actually that thing where we need to hold this psalm up and real life and keep them in the same frame. We need to actually bring them together and wrestle with them together. I think that's the point. I think it's not so much about just hearing statements. I think Psalms are actually kind of like windows that we look at everything else through. So we're not just sitting there going, okay, got it, God's mighty, got it. We're looking through the rest of the world and reality through this Psalm as we go. And so I guess what I'm doing today is inviting you into that wrestling match of bringing reality and the psalm of God being mighty into dialogue with each other. Does that make sense? Great, didn't hear anything. I'll keep going anyway. So just a bit of context uh, before we get there, I think um, just to make sure that that's happening, if it's okay with you, I'd like you to think of maybe a time where you had to ask the question, where is God? Or... Why did that have to happen? And I'm sure we've all got something like that. Or maybe just even a time where you felt like um, your faith was completely emptied out by an experience. So you're holding that together. And I think we need to hold both that and this psalm together in the frame for us to do that honestly. So now for a bit of context. Psalm 93 uh, is the first in what we call the kingship psalms, which is a group of seven short, sharp writings that emphasize God's control over everything. Um, And in fact, uh, the fact that he has it all in hand. Uh, And each psalm, it kind of sets up the one after it. So it's kind of like a a concept album in the middle of the the group of psalms. Uh, And Psalm 93 is the start of these psalms. Um, So it echoes creation imagery and it's calling its readers to recognize that it's God who formed all of this out of nothing. And it's God who truly has the means to save and rule, unlike the other rulers that we have around all the time. And importantly, uh, this psalm probably wasn't written off the back of a blazing hot prayer meeting or a time of national pride or a time of lots of national prosperity. We might expect that. This this psalm was most likely written uh, during a time of exile, a time where the people were displaced from their land. Um, a time where God's people had been removed from the land and were feeling this, this disconnection, uh, this grief, and this longing for things to be different. Um, so exile is this state of unsettledness, of um, ungroundedness, or a prolonged sense that um, things are not good. Um, it's to live under the thumb of someone else and not be able to live as you want to. So Exile is like this extended chapter of waiting for things to change. Um, In exile, things are not as they should be. Uh, It's a time where those in power uh, seem to be winning even when they shouldn't be. Uh, And it's a form of chaos. And it's, it's it's a time of waiting for God to change the way things are. But in the midst of all that, in that exile, Psalm 93 is written. 
And so just to write it off like a chant like I was doing, uh, or wishful thinking or just theological waxing is to kind of miss completely what's going on here. Uh, It's a profound act of imaginative faith. Saying that even though all of this is true, all this chaos and grief is happening, this is more true. This is more true. Uh, There is a deeper reality here that we're being invited to see. So it's absolutely not about papering over our struggles with religious catchphrases. It's definitely not that. The point of Psalms like this is to sort of treat them like a window, to look through them at everything else, to look at life honestly, to grieve and to struggle and to feel fear and anger, but then not allow those things to be ultimate because there is something more ultimate. So this is the wrestling match that we have to sit with with something like Psalm 93. We're just hearing about what God is like and how strong he is. But I think that's really important because I think right now, I think Psalm 93 could be quite an important text for our moment right now. So I think, I think there's a bit of a mood at the moment in general wide society that we sit in. There's a bit of a mood at the moment. So I wanna talk about that mood on like a global level and then a more local level in New Zealand and then at a personal level as well. So going from the global to the local to the personal, I think there's a little bit of a mood of the time we're sitting in right now. And I think Psalm 93 could be a really important piece to dialogue with as we do that. I think this moment, it's fair to say, is a little bit disorienting. I was speaking to a group of teachers last week and one teacher said, at this moment in history, it feels like I'm up in the air, that everything is changing. I can't seem to grab onto anything. Where are we right now? I can't seem to make sense of anything. It seems like there's so much rapid change. It's incredibly disorienting. And um, I mean, one example of this that's maybe a little bit funny is I've just been seeing what's been going online in the last couple of months with AI art. Has anyone else got into that? This AI art's super creepy. Um, so I, w- I grew up in the Tumblr era of, of the internet, which is sort of showing my age um, and my disposition. Uh, but now it's turned to AI-generated artwork. Computers do it. And so you can enter things into computers like, I don't know, uh, meatball, children, birthday, vintage, and this is what you get. And it's disturbing You don't really know why. You're kind of like, there's something not right, but the computer isn't really picking up, but it's super disturbing. Let's get that off. No one came to church to see that. Um, There's a sense there that was like, it's quite disorienting. That's this weird new world. You can talk to, you can actually get uh, the computer to write you essays now, which is really handy. Um, But it's a weird, fast, changing, disorienting world where we're sort of barely keeping up with what's going on. Uh, And there's a bunch of different things going on as well. It's bizarre. We're seeing um, sort of a war between Russia and Ukraine online in real time where you can actually watch drone footage of aerial strikes and then like really live stuff around uh, trench warfare between Russia and Ukraine. It's bizarre. You kind of, this sort of entertainment thing going on with what's happening over there. Um, We're seeing, I guess, continued fragmentation uh, geopolitically as as this dream of globalization of sort of holding hands across the world and singing Kumbaya, it's a small world after all, is definitely seeming to crumble. Um, And it's interesting, you think about the last year's Top Gun sequel, you know, for all its flashy callbacks to the glory days, it's this strange movie that's wrestling with the fading global power of America and how things are changing there. And it's a really interesting uh, sort of catch point in in the way that the world is changing its thinking. Um, 
Commentator uh, Lionel Laurent says we should be calling our time the realistic 20s, not the roaring 20s, the realistic 20s. Um, as we see interest rates cripple uh, real estate and new currencies and investments, which will affect all of us at one level, um, and the EU is spending millions to try and replace the Russian national gas, uh, natural gas, and um, we're going to see things like alliances being based on energy rather than sort of shared principles. So. It's this weird time where on the big global scale, things are changing at a really fast rate. And we're probably going to be pushed into something like the realistic 20s, where we're going to have less money, we're going to have less freedoms, and less ability to just follow every whim and freedom that we want to. Uh, a cultural commentator, uh, Peter Zion, says this. If I can get the next quote up. During the past seven decades, as a percent of the population, Fewer people have died in fewer wars and fewer occupations and fewer famines and fewer disease outbreaks than since the dawn of recorded history. Historically speaking, we live in embarrassment of riches and peace. All of these evolutions and more are tightly interwoven, inseparable, but there is a simple fact that is often overlooked. They are artificial. We have been living in a perfect moment and it is passing. The world of the past few decades has been the best it will ever be in our lifetime. Instead of cheaper and better and faster, we're rapidly transitioning into a world that's pricier and worse and slower because our world, uh, our world is breaking apart. And uh, later on in the book, he says, what we all think of as normal is actually the most distorted moment in human history. That makes it incredibly fragile and it is over. So I don't want to be a prophet of doom. <laughs> Happy Sunday. <laughs> but I think it's important to notice that, that things have been really good and we've been able to enjoy a certain expectation or narrative for how our lives were gonna go. And we can't actually fall back on that in the same ways we used to. The world is changing really fast. And at a global level, it's super unsettling. Now, globally speaking, we're pretty well placed to deal with that, but the world uh, is gonna see some really, really interesting things going on. It's a lot of chaos, volatility, uncertainty, a real sense of displacement, not that different to exile, a sense that we too aren't home in the same way anymore. Um, and so I find myself asking the question, can we find the same imaginative faith as the writers of Psalm 93? Can we still wrestle with those two realities? All this chaos is going on, the Lord reigns. Chaos, the Lord reigns. But then there's also at the local level. So if I can get the next photo up, um, this is a photo that my friend put up on Facebook uh, a few days ago. That's just five minutes up from, from where I live. Uh, that's in Riverhead. Um, it's just got a sun overlooking the edge of a, a bridge that just got completely washed away, which again, amazed me that that could happen. Um, and I just, I mean, something is profound about this picture where you've got this boy looking over at the edge and people on looking at what's been going on, they can't get to the other side of this road. And it's a real metaphor, I think, of saying, actually, we're not as in control as we thought we were. Weather has a bigger say than we'd like to admit. Narratives are breaking down. Humans aren't necessarily always in charge. And in New Zealand, it's not just the flooding. This has just been the latest thing. Um, we've got uh, pandemic tensions and families have been put into tension in ways they hadn't before. Um, it becomes obvious, I think, that um, politics can't really deliver real, real solutions in the way that we'd like them to. 
We've got the cost of living going through the roof. Um, fruit prices, right? I saw a punnet, a small punnet of blueberries for $9 the other day in the supermarket. That's apocalyptic. This is a this strange time that we're in. And, and this generation of young people coming through, um, you know, as I talk to them, they're feeling increasingly resigned to the idea that they probably won't be able to buy a house. Um, so this old Kiwi dream is, is kind of fading. We're, we're sort of moving into a, a much tougher time. The realistic 20s is affecting New Zealand in some really obvious ways, I think. And so that's the local level. So that's globally, it's feeling tense. Locally, we're feeling these changes as well. And then, then personally, I think this is all kind of filtering down into the way we can often view the world, which is we are building a new sense of the future, I think, that's not as optimistic as it once was. Um, I got a text from a friend a little while ago as we were talking about this. We were talking about hope. And she said um, in this message, um, there's so much information out there now, so you're super aware of all the injustices at work. It wasn't until a family member told me she was pregnant last week that I realised I wasn't excited about the future at all. Uh, with mortgage and rising interest rates, lack of travel, inflation, all the other big things like climate and war. And as I read that text, I thought that is not an isolated sentiment. That sort of sums up the mood of how people are, are feeling as they're looking at all these changes, which feel ominous. And again, at the start of the year, I saw this tweet on Twitter. It's very similar. Uh, she says, um, so real talk, is anyone else burnt out and away after the past three years when now the future feels like a void of futile nothingness? with high cost of living, high uh, risk of costly illness and disability and ongoing climate crises, the new year feels empty for this single person. And again, I think that kind of picks up on the mood. There's this sense of the world is changing and it doesn't feel like it's going in a good direction. And I think for our young people especially, uh, this, is, this is affecting them in some pretty profound ways. And so it can actually feel like despair. Um, so again, I wonder how Psalm 93 makes you feel when you read it. The Lord reigns. He is mighty. He is stronger than the waves and the, and the voice of the waves. He is mighty. He's strong. He's clothed in majesty. Again, how does that make you feel when it's put into conversation with reality? It should be a wrestling match. I think actually, for all the doom and gloom that seems to be spouting out of my mouth this morning, this is a real moment of opportunity for us as the church because really our, um, our stakes and our confidence were never supposed to be invested in those narratives. Um, we've got a real opportunity to say, yeah, all of those things, they were fragile and they were fleeting and they could have never have delivered what we say the kingdom of God could. Actually, we've got a real opportunity to say there's a stronger narrative that will not let you down. I think we're at a real moment of opportunity where we get to show what faith really means in the light of chaos. So I don't think it is doom and gloom. I think it's just a moment for us to pause and think, where is our confidence? Where is our confidence? And really have to wrestle with that ourselves. Um, German uh, theologian uh, Jürgen Moltmann says, um, when we get into moments like this where we're having to wrestle with our faith, there's kind of two major temptations that human beings tend to fall into to try and solve these problems. It's either despair or presumption. So if I can get that one up. 
So what he means by presumption is that when we, uh, when we fall into chaos, we feel anxious, one of the first things we try and do is to solve every single problem and believe that we can solve every single problem that's within our ability to do that. And he starts to unpack what that's looked like through different nation states and how they have tried to grab life by the scruff of the neck and make it perfect for devastating results. So human beings often fall into this, we try and solve all the problems even though we can't. But then often when we we come up against this, we fall into the second temptation, which is despair of nothing can change. There's nothing I can do. I just have to sit back and take it and life will never get better. So again, I wonder which camp you sort of fall into. I'm definitely the second one. I'll just start to get real down and out about stuff and fall into despair like there's nothing I can do. But I think faith is different. Faith and hope are different to both of those things. It's not presumption. We're not taking it by the scruff of the neck. We're joining in with God and it's not despair because we know that the story that we're part of, the true story of history has a really good ending. So it's a moment of opportunity to show where we sit with that. So again, I wonder where we all sit with uh, with Psalm 93. I think this moment that we're in right now uh, is confronting us with a very simple truth that we have to learn over and over. And it's very simple and it feels embarrassing that I have to learn this over and over. And that is God's in control and I'm not. Weather and global markets and the failing of globalization, the restrictions on our lives are actually just showing us that despite all our efforts, uh, we can't make the world we want it. Tragedy strikes. We have limits and stuff happens to us and sometimes we don't know why. So we have to start asking the question, I think, not why is this happening, but who is this God on the throne that we speak about in this psalm? If he's really in charge and he's mighty and he's clothed in majesty, like it says, what is he like if he's so in charge? And can we trust him? It turns out that in the most surprising of twists, it turns out that God uses this power by giving it away. He doesn't stand in the way of death, but gives himself up to it so that not even death or pain or any kind of suffering is separated from God. He's taken it all up into him. So you could say that every exile has ended. Something that Psalm 93 was straining towards in faith, every exile has ended. All alienation is overcome because God has joined himself to it. He's used his power to reconcile himself, not just to the admirable and the beautiful and the respectable parts of life. He hasn't just joined himself to that, but he's also joined himself to the tragic and the painful and the chaotic. He's joined himself to anxiety and despair and collapses and losses. None of it is lost to him. The Lord reigns and that looks like a cross, but then it also looks like a resurrection. Nothing can separate you from his love. So actually, this is what we participate in when, we, when we're dealing with Psalm 93. If we take the Psalm seriously, we're participating in this kind of hope where even when the worst stuff happens to us, it's not wasted on God. We're not separated from him. We're actually in, engaged in a deeper reality. Who do you trust? That's where the wrestling match starts. And so we stand at the beginning of a year uh, in a world coming to terms with an uncertain new chapter that all of us are caught up in. And we can look all of this chaos in the face, I think, and we don't have to pretend it's not there. 
or suppress it or be consumed by it. Uh, This is actually where genuine faith begins. And none of us get to master this ever, uh, but we do get to grow in it. Uh, Feeling this chaos, having to let things go, grieving things we were counting on, admitting things that we thought were givens in this life just sometimes aren't. And then trusting that there's someone on the throne, someone who has it all in hand and it isn't us. I think we're asked to see that at the centre of reality, it's not a set of impersonal rules and forces but, uh, or causes and effects, it's a personal being. And this is an abstract. You know, yesterday I stood at a memorial uh, for a baby that lived less than two days. And we listened to a Nick Cave poem uh, that repeated the line, such things shouldn't happen, but they do. And the Lord reigns. I think he's asking for our trust at the beginning of this year, looking around at everything. And I wish I was better at taking Psalm 93 seriously and learning to trust like that. I really do. I'm, I'm sort of daunted by this as well. I can't help imagine though um, what it would look like to be part of a church um, that was also watching these narratives and watching these narratives fold and fall and showing that we trust in a deeper reality, that uh, to not be surprised when these systems and dreams fail, that in fracturing, we would be a a place that commanded unity together and times of scarcity would still be a community that's generous. When we experience loss, we still know the gratitude of what it means to walk alongside each other and um, what it means to hold someone else up when they go through this hard stuff as well and being their strong person for times where they can't do it. I wonder what it would look like if we went in that direction when, as we know what's sort of coming on the horizon. One of my favourite uh, writers, Frederick Bigner, um, said this, and it doesn't sound anything like this abstract grace that we might imagine. Psalm 93 actually is incredibly personal when we understand that through Jesus. And so he says this, the grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. It's beautiful. (laughs) So I guess we enter into a time of communion and prayer. Um, I want to invite you into this wrestling match yourself. Um, I don't think we're just asked to believe this like a robot. Um, I think we're invited to look through it into the world and wrestle with it. And I know in this room we have a massive collection of life experiences of griefs and tragedies and frustrations and ways that you feel that God may have let you down, that life hasn't gone the way you thought it would. We've all got that, but we've still got to put that in conversation with Lord reigns. Who is this God that reigns? Such things shouldn't happen, but they do. Beautiful uh, and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid, I am with you. That's the start of 2023. So let me just pray for us and then we'll move into a a time of communion. Lord, thank you that you don't uh, ask us to just um, believe and to sit like robots and um, and not engage with you in a relational way. Thank you that you invite that that you want us to trust you. You want us to wrestle and then to discover that you're good and you're trustworthy 
uh, and you hold us even when everything around us seems like exile, feels like chaos, and everything might feel very out of control. That the deeper reality behind all of this is that you reign, that you are on a throne, and that you're holding it all together. And actually, who you are is just like Jesus. Would you help us to discover what it means to walk beside you in the chaos and to trust you through the darkest and lowest points of life, as well as the high points? And may we be a church that knows how to do that together. Amen.